Welcome to the Alabama Literacy Network's podcast, which is designed to share information and best practices for literacy in the state of Alabama. We hope to bring a wide variety of resources together to help school leaders, teachers, and parents so that all children read at high levels. We believe that literacy is a fundamental right that is tied to so many positive outcomes that we want for the citizens of Alabama. This podcast was brought to you by Bright Spot Ed, LLC an educational consulting company based in Alabama, providing consulting, professional learning, evaluation services, and resources. Our goal is to highlight the good and replicate it across education. Check us out at brightspoted.com. I'm your host, Shelley Bell Smith. Today, we will be talking to Ms. Patty Montgomery. Ms. Montgomery has a vast background in education, which includes being a teacher, administrator with underserved populations, special education administrator, author, national education consultant specializing in principal and school leadership development, collaborator with state departments of education, as well as teacher effectiveness and union management collaboration teams. Previously, she was the executive director of literacy for the Colorado Department of Education, where she was responsible for the implementation of the READ Act. Patty has worked with school principals and superintendents across the country on effective school practices. Her work is steeped in the belief that all students can attain high achievement and focuses on school populations comprised of highly diverse learners. She is the lead author of the book entitled The Principal's Primer for Raising Reading Achievement, which is a guide for principals and school leaders that highlights efficient systems and structures necessary for school-wide improvement in performance. Welcome, Patty. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Can you start by telling us how you became involved in education and literacy leadership? Yes, absolutely. Obviously, when I got out of school many, many, many years ago, uh, I decided to become a, a teacher, much to my business parents' chagrin, and always had an interest in languages, particularly the English language and the background uh, of our English language. So after I became a teacher, I actually also became a mother shortly thereafter, And at about the age of four, uh, I could see that my son was uh, struggling with things like rhyming and word sounds and word endings and things like that. Little did I know that that would show up later in his reading because I didn't know what the implications were for early phonological issues. So when he was about six, he struggled to learn to read. So I started reading everything that I possibly could about reading and wanted to make sure that if my child or any child uh, should never have to struggle to learn to read. So I stumbled upon a very famous person in the world of education. Two actually were my my go-tos, Barbara Foreman and Louisa Motes. I read everything that they were doing. They had begun their work with uh, National Institute of Child Health and Development and were doing some projects in Texas and, of course, Washington, D.C., and so followed them and became just so engaged with all of those things. I decided at about that time that I was going to be a principal, and I was determined to make sure that every child could learn to read at grade level. So that's how the whole thing started. I love that. And as principals, 
we have such a huge obligation for the learning and the literacy in our schools, which is a perfect segue to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is the book that you wrote called The Principles Primer for Raising Reading Achievement. And this is actually integrated into letters for administrators. And you and I have discussed the difference between leadership strategies and literacy leadership strategies. Although many of these are the same, what are some differences that are important for people to know about when implementing changes in literacy instruction? Yes, uh, good question. So, I mean, you're right. Many of them are the same. And of course, good leaders need to know about literacy, but they also need to be able to give instructional feedback on literacy to propel their teachers to become better teachers. They also need to be able to uh, create a productive climate so that teachers can maximize student learning. So what does a productive climate include? That we have strong data systems in place, that we have good behavior management systems in place so that a teacher doesn't have to to worry about that. A principal needs to be able to manage resources well. So that means things like human resources beyond just teachers so that we can, again, optimize everything within our systems. We need to be able to have a good master schedule in place as we'll probably talk about a master schedule is the linchpin of literacy development or increase in literacy outcomes in schools. So all of those things, which incidentally have been recently highlighted in the Wallace Foundation's research that came out in February of this year, talks about all of those things that highly effective principals do, and that actually we need to be spending more time on principal development teaching them all of those pillars that we've just talked about, and they have more of an impact than individual teachers do, which is what certainly we've known about at Schools Cubed, but now we have the research to back it up. I love it when research proves what I was thinking, and so. (laughs) So true, so true. I love that, and as a former elementary school principal, I felt like I was a contributor, even though I wasn't in the classroom, my contribution was helping put those things in place that allowed them to do their job really well. And what we now know from uh, research, Shelly, is that you were a bigger contributor than maybe each teacher. So your impact was bigger. So principles are very important. Principles are incredibly important, even though I will give all of the credit always to them. They were always much smarter than I was. (laughs) Your book uh, was used as the basis for working with principals, specifically in Mississippi, when they began the implementation of the Literacy-Based Promotion Act. What were the things that were essential for leaders to know and be able to do as they began that specific change process? Yes, same. I mean, first of all, we need a basic understanding, uh, all principals do, of how children learn to read. And then beyond that, what are those things that we need to get in place? Good data systems, a good master schedule, good professional development, knowing what a good intervention is and how you choose a good intervention, knowing what whole group instruction and small group instruction should look like, and knowing when you walk into a classroom what the layout of a good literacy block should be. We discussed all of those things that are in the book and That's the training that they went through. 
Excellent. And so that is a powerful training for people to undergo. So I know that you have a company that does a lot of this kind of work. What does your company specifically do? Yes, thank you, Shelley. Schools Cubed, we do two things. We train principals in all of these systems and structures that we just talked about. We do something called Leadership and Literacy Institute. We like to call it the Highly Effective LLI. And it talks about what is good universal instruction. How do you find a good intervention? We teach them how to do build a master schedule. We teach them how to look at their data and what their teachers should be doing, how to provide professional feedback. So that's one branch of what we do. And the other is that we go into schools and do what we call an implementation. And we do an audit on a school to see where they are in raising literacy outcomes, where they are in teaching literacy. And it looks at six domains, universal instruction, assessment, intervention, database decision-making, professional development, and collaboration. Many of the things that the Wallace Foundation found in their research, we've, as I said, we've known that for a long time. And so we do an audit, and then we come in once a month and help the principal change their systems and learn how to give instructional feedback. Awesome. You've been very successful in turning low-performing schools around. When you go into those schools, what are some of the ineffective practices you see and how do you change those? Uh, Well, it's kind of back to what we started with, and that is a lack of good leadership strategies. And it isn't because principals don't want to. I believe that all educators with all my heart and soul want to be highly effective. It's just that Our principal schools don't teach the things that we've just talked about. So they leave not knowing. They don't know how to put in a good data system. They don't know. In my principal school, we never talked about what's a good master schedule look like and how do you build a master schedule? They certainly didn't talk about the research on interventions so that teachers or principals would know how to do that. We did talk about financial resources, but we didn't talk about how to utilize effectively all of our human resources. So again, those are the main things that principals need to learn but they're not taught at our principal schools across America. Well, and as someone who has taught a lot of aspiring administrators, I've tried really hard to do that. But I do think that a lot of times people lack that knowledge themselves, so it's hard to teach it to other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the interesting thing is that we teach hospital administrators those things, and we sometimes forget that a school is a system, much like a hospital is a system. And we need to start bridging that knowledge over into our schools so that we become much more highly effective in every single school we have. Right. So when you go in and work with schools to improve their system, how long does it really take for these improvements to show up? Yes, uh, it takes three to five years in an elementary school We also work in secondary schools, and it takes about five to seven years to increase the outcomes 
of, I mean, dramatically increase the outcomes of secondary schools. Now, you do see an increase after the first year, but to make the dramatic changes really takes a minimum of of three years. But you will start to see increases after a year. Well, and you and I both know sometimes it's easy for people to see some progress and then to assume that the issue is fixed and to abandon those practices that were causing the improvement. Absolutely. Here's another thing that happens. Principal turnover is higher than it's ever been. And so principals will put practices into place. And then another principal comes in that hasn't been trained, that doesn't understand these these practices, and a school starts all over again, which contributes to having low literacy outcomes, quite frankly, because one of the things that people don't understand is increased literacy outcomes is not about just professional development for teachers. In fact, if we believe that, we're shooting ourselves in the foot regarding the science of reading because it takes all of those factors to make a difference in literacy outcomes for students. Systems thinking. Total systems thinking. It has to be. I agree. And I just was thinking about the principal churn because a lot of times we put a principal in, they make progress, and then we want to remove that principal and put them in a lower performing school to fix it when we end up creating a problem with the school that they've made progress in. And, you know, that principal churn is such an issue. Yeah, absolutely. And instead of if districts would just learn to systematize the, the structures, the effective structures and systems that are within every school, we wouldn't have this constant churn of low effective, high effective, low effective. It's got to be, I mean, it's interesting. We we started with giving teachers professional development. Now we're finding, oh, no, we need to give principals professional development. But ultimately, we need to make sure district leadership knows all of these things as well. We just keep climbing up the chain until we finally get in in state departments. I mean, now that goes back to what our literacy laws are and are they as effective as they can be? And do we need to make some changes there as well, thinking about how our systems work? Those are great points. Alabama is getting ready to adopt new language arts curricula. Any advice on how we can do this more effectively? Yes. First of all, here's one of the things that I've noticed across this country, and maybe this wouldn't happen in Alabama, but I do notice that still we try to appease the masses in education. And so we pick Well, first of all, very few states have a list of what they suggest schools should be using. And then when they do, they tend to go with a balanced literacy approach because they want to appease, again, the masses. But what I hope Alabama does and what I hope all states do is say that, no, we really believe in the science of reading. And we're going to go with a curricula that best aligns with that. So that would be the first thing. Another one is looking at a checklist. We want to get things done quickly in our country. Uh, Again, I'm sure Alabama is no exception. And there are some clearinghouses out there that do offer some approvals. But I will tell you, uh, now I like many of the things that Ed Reports does, so don't get me wrong. And I use their reports in the upper grades. But 
their K2 system could be more granular to show exactly what good uh, a good scope and sequence is for phonological awareness and other things. And the last time I checked on Ed reports, it only went to second grade as far as the foundational skills. When in reality, our foundational skills, the foundational standards go through fifth grade. So we need to be looking at foundational skills all the way through fifth grade. So instead of just jumping on an ed reports to look, there are some checklists out there. Barbara Foreman uh, wrote an excellent one that I believe South Carolina uses. And so there are some out there. The Reading League has a, a nice checklist. And so make sure that we look thoroughly at any curriculum that we choose that truly is aligned with the science of reading. And one that's easy for teachers to to follow. One of the things that publishers do, and I certainly understand, is but they try to make everybody happy by having a little of this and a little of that. And if a teacher isn't well-trained, they're going to pick things that don't necessarily align with the science of reading. So just being sure that we follow a thorough curriculum that aligns with the science of reading. And that is such an impactful process because so much of what happens in our classrooms is dependent on that curricula. Yes. And, and, you know, Shelly, another thing that I see going on across America as far as curriculum goes is interventions. You know, we are in so many states across this country, and I see that that's another area that we're failing, is in tier three interventions. So here we've created these literacy laws, which I'm thrilled that we have literacy laws, but we wind up labeling students and then not giving them a good intervention and not clearly defining what that intervention is. So not only do we need a good universal curriculum, and I agree, we can't intervene our way out of a problem, but we need to do both things, make sure that we have a really good universal core program and then a rigorous, strong tier three intervention. So we boost those kids out of that at lowest level as quickly as possible. I agree. And I found it very interesting that the courts just ruled on the free and appropriate education for a student as a, on a reading intervention issue and, and whether a program met that. And so nice, nice. um, I'll have to forward that to you. Yes, please do. One of the free tools on your website is a schedule builder. Obviously, we've just talked about effective school schedules being really important for literacy. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Because that is one of the things that I had to learn as an elementary principal to really maximize the human potential in my building. Yep, um, absolutely, Shelly. Isn't that funny that So I believe, as I said, that a schedule is the linchpin of good literacy instruction. I too didn't learn that in when I was getting my principal license. And I don't know of a principal school that teaches that. It's something that we all have to learn on our own. And oh my gosh, such an important piece. And we do have to learn it on our own. But it a good schedule, number one, ensures that we are utilizing our human resources. I have been in far too many schools where I see a paraprofessional sitting around or just not enough 
people doing doing what they need to be doing to increase literacy, running copies, playground duty, cafeteria duty. I could go on and on. But if you have a good master schedule, you can make sure that our human resources are utilized. And here's an example. If we stagger the start times, this seems so basic, but if we stagger the start times of literacy, and for so many years, we had a two-hour reading block. Do you remember that back in reading first days? Well, that's no way to have literacy. We need to stagger those start times so that we can get our special education people, our paraprofessionals used throughout the day. So that's one reason. It also, a good master schedule holds everybody accountable. If second grade says they're teaching literacy at 10 o'clock is the principal, I can go in there and number one, I'm going to do some uh, observations at 10 o'clock. I know that literacy is going on. I am there. And so it holds all of us accountable to increasing literacy outcomes. It's really the glue of the school. And not only that, I believe it's something that teachers should collaborate together and create together. I don't believe in teacher handing in her schedule and saying, well, this is what I'm going to teach literacy. No, I I say that as a literacy team or as a leadership team, we sit down and figure out what's the best for the students in our building. We might need 12 sessions of an intervention for next year and the following year, we might only need eight. So we need to look at the data, know how our students are when we look at creating a master schedule. Agreed. And that was one of my big ahas as a school administrator was the evolution of that schedule and also involving teachers in that. Um, Mine too. Yes, it was a huge deal. (laughs) And it was a huge shock the first time I had to do it. <laughs> well, and fortunately, I had a principal coach who helped me with that. Nice. And so still one of the great mentors and friends in my life. You've worked with multiple districts and states on improving reading achievement for students. Do you have any insight on what's working and what's not? And has any of that changed because of the pandemic? Oh boy. Yes. That's, that's a really good question. So what's working? You know, I could get in trouble for this one, but I'm just going to say it anyway. I don't think online teaching works well. I mean, and, and let me be clear. I, man, there's, I, I've seen several teachers that are just amazing at online teaching. But if anything else, it proved that we need high quality teachers. Uh, we Kids need a teacher in front of them. So that, that's one of the things. The other one is that I believe kindergarten instruction and first grade instruction was hurt big time during, during COVID, particularly for those students who were online. I do believe also that data has shown how much more valuable it is. Of course, I've always believed that, but now everyone wants to know, where are these kids really? How are they doing? So so that's another big thing that I see. And I also see that because of the loss, and, and I do believe that there's a significant loss in our lower grades, that's what I see, but because of that, People are fine. We're starting to see COVID as an opportunity. I think the monies that schools are receiving because of the learning loss are critical. And not only that, I believe with my heart and soul that in the next three years, 
we can bring every child up to grade level. I, I do believe that. I'm not sure that schools are spending their money wisely and using those ESSER funds like they need to. And, and that worries me. That worries me a great deal. It can't be more of the same. It can't be. Agreed. And uh, I've done actually a podcast on you know what the research says for going forward from this and how do we use the research and the data to make smart decisions. And knowing that we do have this great opportunity. We can't waste it. Yes. It, you know, it, shall I just want to add also that I think with uh, so many children online through the, through COVID that parents got to see how their children were learning to read and they weren't always happy. And I think if anything else, we'll get more parents behind this this emphasis on making sure we really use the research in how we teach children to read. We have been very mindful about listening to the research on medicine. I hope we're equally mindful about listening to the research on how children learn to read. That's a great point about the parents watching what we were doing during this time and I do think we are seeing in many places across this country, parents demanding something different. And I think because they, in essence, were teaching their children for an extended period of time during the lockdown, that they have a greater insight into what their children need now. Absolutely. I was on with uh, one of uh, friends of mine. And the father, I mean, you know, both mother and father were working with the kids and, and the little boy was having uh, issues learning to read. And the dad became almost tearful and said, I thought I didn't know how to teach him to read. I didn't know that it was the curriculum and things that were going on with the school. I mean, this dad was so upset that he thought he was causing it. So yes, I, I do think parents have become more knowledgeable. Yeah. And involved, which is what we want. Absolutely. Absolutely. Patty, thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate what you're doing and have done for students and teachers. Thank you, Shelly. And back at you. All right. Join us again next week for the next episode of the Alabama Literacy Network podcast.